this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive on Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. Today, I, well, before I begin, let me say, uh, if you don't know, I have been doing a sermon series called Unsung Heroes of the Bible, talking about people that we don't talk about much in sermons on Sunday morning. In fact, every single one of these people I've absolutely never, ever preached on before. So I've had a really fun time digging into these stories And today I'm going to read just the last three verses of Paul's letter to the church in Colossians. And there's no record that Paul went to this church. We know that he sent this letter and he is currently in prison. And it was likely that he was having this letter dictated or written via a scribe, as was common of the day. In fact, the ending of this letter that I'll read in just a moment um, hints towards that. And in this letter that Paul writes to the church from prison, he gives them warnings against false teachers. He tries to offer them a word of encouragement. He speaks of his concern, of their spiritual welfare. And then at the end of the letter today, he begins to offer some greetings, as was the custom. We might say shout-outs today, you know. Say hey to the physician Luke. I hope he's doing great. It was this sort of shout-out, and he offers three greetings, and one of them is to a woman named Nympha. And this is who I want to talk about today as our unsung hero. And if you have your Bibles, or you can read one in the pews with you, It's Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodosians, and see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, say, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So Paul is writing to the church in Colossians, which really is not that far miles wise from the church in Laodicea, and that is in present western Turkey today, if that helps you to know where we are in the map. And he wants this letter that he writes to be read in that church and then shared on to the church in Laodicea, to the church as well. Something we should always keep in mind whenever we are reading from an epistle in the New Testament is that we are reading someone else's mail very, very old male, almost 2,000-year-old male, but we are reading someone else's letters. And it's clear that from the very beginning, Paul encouraged these letters to be shared and read among the Christian communities. It was part of the reason why Paul's influence shaping the Christian faith and theology is unlike any other we've ever known. It also was a way to keep churches standing strong and to feel united as these letters were shared and passed to different churches. But before signing off, 
he offers the last of his greetings to this woman named Nympha. And he then reminds a guy named Archippus to complete that task that he has been given. Nothing like a little pressure there than to get a shout out from the Apostle Paul in prison to stay true to the task you've been given. But it's Nympha that I wanted to talk about today as our unsung hero. Nympha is one of 16 women that Paul mentions in his letters to the early church. If you enjoy history, archaeology, or just a good old-fashioned church nerd like me, then uh, you might appreciate this part because I wanted to share a little fun fact about Nympha particularly, but she is one of three women, Junia and Eudoa, that are mentioned in, by Paul in the New Testament that we know that we know through history that later scribes, when they made copies of these letters, as they did for a very long time, uh, those three women, there's evidence that scribes, different scribes, changed their names from male, female to male. Sometimes they put an S on the end of the name. Junia became Junius. Eudoa became Eudoius. Even though these names didn't, male names didn't exist, there was an effort to try to present them as a male name. An example in Nipha's story is that uh, the phrase uh, to her church was changed to their church. As you might not be surprised about, but as the church gained more structure, more authority, became more hierarchical by the very nature there was. These are some examples of ways that the influence of women in the early church was sought to be minimized. You can Google their names today and learn all about it and more about the ancient Greek than you ever want to know to learn about this. But modern scholars today, by and large, agree that these three women Nympha, one of them, were definitely women. All the Bibles, the modern English Bibles, reflect that. The only one that doesn't is the King James Bible. So there you go on your church nerd fun facts for the day. I want you all to go home and Google their names. <laughs> but I tell you this because maybe you're wondering this morning why Nympha. I mean, she only gets one verse, one shout out from Paul in the New Testament. We, we never hear from her again in the Bible. We don't know anything about her church in Laodicea. We, we don't know anything more about her. But there are some things that we can discern from the scripture. We know that she must have had some power and influence respected beyond her own church community because Paul is writing to the church in Colossia and he wants a greeting to Nympha, who's in another town. She must have been known far beyond her church community. And we know that it was common for Christians like Nympha, who were of some means, who had some finance, financial stability, people who had a large home, it was common for them to open their doors and to welcome the church into their house. She had house church. And it's this piece of information that has really and truly fascinated me about Nympha this week. She opened her home and had a church in her home. Of course, churches 
This were also the centers of service and activity. They were feeding orphans and taking care of widows. They were welcoming missionaries who were traveling from beyond, like Paul and Timothy. This wasn't just that she opened her doors for a Bible study for one hour a week. She opened her doors to the whole wide, messy, needy, beautiful Christian community. After all, this was also a time when it was just dangerous to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. Christians were targeted for their faith. They were beaten, they were jailed, they lost their lives. There was no option to build a church together. That was impossible. The earliest church that we know of in existence today was built in the mid-third century, and even that didn't actually last very long before it was destroyed. Churches were not even begun to, build, to be built until long after Christianity was recognized as a legal religion by the Emperor Constantine in the year 313. So think about this. We're talking 300, 400 years longer in many places where there were no church buildings, no beautiful steeples looking out over a town. I love our church steeple, by the way. No gorgeous sanctuaries. They had no buildings. 300 to 400 years. This astounds me because this is actually known as one of the greatest most important times of the spread and evangelism of the Christian faith. And they did it without buildings. All they had were people, just people like Nympha, people willing to lead and take risks and teach and serve and open their doors to their home. You know that saying, if you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. Nympha must have lived by that. She not only opened her doors, not only kept feeding whoever came into her home, but she took care of people, she made sure to strengthen the early church and community, and her reputation was far enough and wide enough that Paul from prison wants to make sure to greet her. But don't you know it couldn't have been easy to have a house church. It made me think of um, some of those masterpieces where you look at them from a distance and it looks so beautiful and perfect. And then when you get up close to the art, you see it's just a big messy bunch of dots. And I happen to think that up close to Nympha's life must have been complicated and messy. Don't you know the woman probably never had clean floors in her house, not a day? All those needs, I bet people never quit knocking at her door. All the time, people coming, study, worship, serve, hosting missionaries from beyond. And let's not forget that it was just plain old dangerous to claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And there she is in the public welcoming a church into her house. Pastor and teacher Will Willimon wrote a book for ministers and future ministers called Calling and Character, Virtues of an Ordained Life. And he makes it clear in this book that following Jesus isn't uh, 
gumdrops and fairy tales that following Jesus is hard, sometimes very hard. And he writes, mission gives meaning. Jesus does not come to us to relieve us of all our yokes or burdens. Rather, he comes offering a yoke worth wearing, a burden worth bearing. Sacrifice, commitment over the long haul. This is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Nympha opened her doors day after day, year after year, and she used what she had in her own life to offer. She used her gifts. And I was thinking about people I've known like that. I have a dear friend in ministry who for years had young men, 18 years old, that lived in her house. Her husband worked at a institution of foster children that were raised by the state. And these young men would graduate at 18 with a high school degree and they were on their own in the world. And after years of watching them struggle desperately to make it, they just started unofficially saying, come, come stay in our guest bed. Some would stay for a few weeks, some as long as a year or two as they tried to help them navigate an education or a job or training, help to teach them what it means to be an adult. And you know, both had full-time jobs. Both had grown children with families of their own. And I still remember my friend saying to me, everybody needs to know that they have somebody in their corner. That's why we do it. Everybody needs to know that. I think of Jack, a counselor I knew at Camp Bethany Hills in Tennessee. And Jack had counseled camp for decades. And he used to joke um, that he didn't mind sleeping on the uncomfortable camp mattresses because he couldn't get a decent night's sleep anymore anyway. He was a grandparent long well into his senior years, and he'd been at camp for decades. And he said there was a time, you know, that he used to go to the pool and play kickball with the kids, and now he didn't do any of that stuff with the kids. His, his thing, in fact, what he was known for at camp was he would make these little bead crosses with the kids and he would bring his supplies, his strings and his beads and he'd set up a table on the porch there in the lodge and while free time or any time was happening, while he would just sit out there for any kid who maybe didn't have a million friends to run around with, maybe wasn't interested in playing sports and he would just make those crosses with them and talk. And it occurs to me, I think, golly, how many of those crosses cover the span of Tennessee and beyond now from all his years? Who are the people in your life who have shown you what it means to serve, to have a servant heart, not for the pats on the back or the accolades, but people who are willing to be inconvenienced for their faith? People who are willing to live for something greater than themselves. Who are those people in your life who have shown you what it means to serve? 
Now the harder question, I suppose. What gifts has God given you? What gifts do you have in your life to serve? And what are you waiting for? Amen. Amen.